Welcome, beautiful mamas. Sometimes we have a few dudes on our evening class. So uh, just know if you're a man on the on the line, you're not alone. We I've invited the father of our country, George Washington, uh, to class tonight. So our men would not feel like they were the only they were outnumbered when you've got George presiding at the helm you can we can all feel empowered and in good hands I'm Jolene Jackson I'm with Moms for America I teach their classes and also Z is uh, with us so she'll do our uh, moderating Z is our director of education and membership and she just told me it's 23 degrees in the mountains of uh, Colorado where she lives right now. And I told her it's seven degrees in Washington DC and I was feeling a little chilly. So I put a sweater on <laughs> and I'm, I'm quite feeling quite wimpy next to Z. So uh, it's a pleasure for uh, both she and I to be here with you tonight. Uh, Moms for America, where we believe that liberty and we, need, we, we couldn't do it without our dads too. So when we say Moms for America, we love our men. Liberty begins at home when mama knows and loves the stories and miracles of America. So will her children and her grandchildren. And that's the whole idea of uh, the work that we do at Moms for America. The last week that we spoke, we're on to lesson number three now. We're in the 12 week series of the Cottage Meeting series from uh, that purple book. Our, our, our lesson last week was There's No Place Like Home. And today our lesson is Ladies first, right? There's no place like home to anchor our children in hope and faith and patriotism. And now we're going to talk about what this means, ladies first. Let's see that next slide. You know, the work that we do within the four walls of our home seems to really mostly go unnoticed most days. This is my family. We have me and my husband have been married 30 years and we uh, have five children that, that, Boy, tall boy in the middle there. Uh, that was kind of the last time we were together last summer in August. He's uh, serving at church mission for two years. And I can talk to him every week. And uh, I just talked to him on uh, Monday. And uh, he spends his days teaching people uh, about God, teaching the word. And it's in Vegas. And, and he's right very close to the strip there. And so he's, he's been very busy and he said, mom, we're teaching so many people right now, uh, you know, uh, from, from scripture and, and teaching them the ways of God. And he's like, oh, from morning to night. And I said, honey, what are you doing to have so much success? Cause you know, some of these little missionaries go around the world and, and it's hard, you know, in, in an ungodly world these days, not many people want to hear the message. And he said, and then he stopped for a minute. Now, this is a kid I practically had to like have my head spin around in circles to get him to clean his room. Um, <laughs> he said, Mom, he said, it's faith. He said, we're working really hard. We, we get up early and we study and we prepare for the day and then we pray and, and then we go out and we, ex we just expect miracles that if, if we have enough faith there, God will lead us to the people that need to hear his message. And I thought from a kid that I almost had to have my foot in his behind the first 18 years of his life, he's, he's, he's understanding the truths of life. You work hard and you turn it to God and it will all work out. And it just made me think the, the faith of his mama and the faith of my faith was the faith of my mother is will be manifested in our children at some point our faith becomes their faith even though 
it might not seem it when they're in the home and even when they go out in the world, you wonder if they're going to make it, but we do what we do. We, we anchor them the best that we can and then, then we let them go out in the world and have very real experiences. Let's see that next slide, Z. So all the lessons that we talk about, all the stories that you will find are in this uh, Purple Cottage meeting guide. And I hope you have it. This resource guide has all of the stories, quotes, verses, um, video links uh, that, that you'll need. I think it's the, the best compilation of resources to teach your children faith, freedom, and, and family in this guide. And so we're on lesson number three uh, today, ladies first. What we're gonna talk about today is that when women know for themselves and learn these things, the whole her whole sphere of influence, her husband, her children are impacted. And so truly, you know, I, I learned what I did in cottage meeting settings, women gathering together, five, six, 10 women in the neighborhood. And since COVID, we've started to gather online and it's been so successful. We'll probably teach online <laughs> and, until, uh, until God comes kind of thing. And so what, what meeting together with like-minded mothers and grandmothers did for me, and you've heard me say this before, it was transformative. It changed the way I viewed my role as a woman, as a daughter of God, as a mother. It changed my marriage. It changed the way I contributed in my community. And we heard that beautiful testimonial last week from uh, beautiful Amanda Templeman, who got on and, and talked about how she went through the Healing of America seminar and, and these cottage meetings and how she gave examples of how, you know, what her husband is doing now because she came home and began to teach, you know, these things that she was learning uh, through Moms for America in, in these curriculums. She taught them at home and how it impacted the way they educate their children. And now she teaches in her community the healing of America and has gatherings where husbands and wives, men and women gather in her home. And so, you know, when you begin to learn these principles of freedom and liberty and to understand the constitution and, and, and what it means for you as a mother, you begin to become changed as you learn these faith stories. Inevitably, it's the most natural thing in the world to turn and to teach your children and your grandchildren. And even if you don't feel like you're qualified to teach you know, history and constitutional principles, you learn something best when you have to give it away, when you have to teach it. It, it, it solidifies those principles, those stories within you when you have to kind of stumble your way through it, but teach nevertheless. Let's see the next slide. Alex de Tocqueville, who wrote that wonderful book, Democracy in America in the 1830s. He came to America, he's from a Frenchman, and he wanted to know why our income per capita was surpassing Europe and we'd only been a country for 50 years. Well, he noted the, the, the role that religion took in this new little country of America. And he also noticed the influence of women. He said, righteous women in their circle of influence beginning in the home can turn the world around. And he saw women teaching their children how to read from the Bible and being uh, literate and being involved in you know, the community and, and keeping up with the events of the time. The greatest teaching in the world is oftentimes, I dare say it is, comes from often the humble mother, the humble mama who's trying the best that she can, often in less than ideal circumstances. Let's see that next slide. 
um, that reminds me of uh, a story that, do you know who this man is? He's the Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott. And he just uh, declared he's running for president. God bless you, Tim Scott. And in fact, I know a young gal who works in his office in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. And she said, Julene, he is the real deal. She vouched for his reputation because I told her, I always tell the mothers this story about Tim Scott. Two years ago, he gave the rebuttal speech to uh, President Biden's State of the Union address in 2021. And he shared a very tender story about his mother on national TV. And I'll never forget it. I was, uh, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, I wrote it down. I thought, I've got to teach this. He said, when he was a young boy, his mother divorced his father. And so she took him and his brother to go live with her parents, grandma and grandpa. And um, they all had to share one bedroom at grandma and grandpa's house, mom and the two boys. And he, he said that as a young boy, he was angry at this time in his life, uh, what was going on, he was churned up. And um, he said it was about this time in his life when he noticed every night his mother kneeling by her bed praying. And he said, she converted me to Christianity through her example, and it changed my life. So he's telling this story on national TV. He said that his family went from the cotton fields to Congress in one generation because of the prayers of his mother. And there she is next to him today. Mamas, when you fully understand and embrace the idea that your influence that you will have in your home can ultimately heal nations, then we begin to carry ourselves a little bit differently. Let's see the next slide, V. So last Friday, uh, my husband and I, and our wonderful vice president of Moms for America, um, Debbie Kurlitis and uh, Amy, who does our social media, all went to the 50th anniversary of uh, the Heritage Foundation. Now the Heritage Foundation is the largest conservative think tank in America. So it's held in uh, the National Harbor. And um, let's see the next slide. And guess who the keynote speaker was? Tucker Carlson. Now I bring this up just because everything that has gone on the last few days with Tucker Carlson. So he just uh, had come from filming his show. It was Friday night. And he said, I just came from filming. And he spoke for about 25 minutes and he talked about a variety of subjects, not really political subjects, more along the line of what we can do to combat the evil in the world. And I thought it was so interesting as he began to talk, he began to talk about those very principles we discussed in our first lesson of how we can be a force for good and an anchor for good in a, in a dark world. And he said, he said, I, I'm a praying man, but I realize I'm not praying enough. And he said, I have started to pray 10 minutes a day for our country. And then he said, I've also begun to pretend as if this is my last day that I'm going to die. And when, when you think if this was my last day on earth, he says, you begin to live differently. You begin to live with a greater sense of gratitude and not such a, a, a feeling of animosity towards your enemies, but you focus on the most important things. And so he had admonished us to begin to pray for 10 minutes a day for our country. 
and to savor each day. And then he said, then he talked about relationships, that he doesn't trust anything anymore. He said, the only thing I trust is tangible, physical things that I can smell. He said, I trust my relationships. I trust my family. I trust my children. And, uh, but he said, he said, don't throw away your books. He said, the problem with America today is a lack of information and knowledge. And I thought, isn't that interesting? We have so much knowledge with the internet. But he said, what is happening is all of our knowledge is, is becoming digitized. And so digital knowledge can be controlled. And he said, we saw that with COVID, that everyone was getting their information on TV or on the internet. And it, was, it, it, it wasn't accurate. And, and he said, people are becoming ignorant because they don't know the true facts. So he said, don't throw away your books. So I'm thinking, he's basically saying, you turn to God, you keep your family and those friends you trust close, you learn, you go to books. He says, I, I trust my books. Don't throw away your books. Continue to learn and study. And then he said, when you do, you will be compelled to speak truth. And he said, when the more you speak truth, it empowers you and the more courage that you have. He said, when you give into lies and you don't speak up against some of this evil that's going on in the world today, you are promoting their agenda and you become fearful and anxious and you're able to be controlled. And so basically he said those, those four things that we know as mothers to stay anchored so our influence can be real. We, we look to God we pray, we study, we keep our relationships, our family close. We, we learn out of books and, and real books uh, can't be manipulated with the, the times. And, and then you do, and then you begin to speak truth and you act out on truth. And as we do that, we began to move the needle within our sphere of influence. You know, we can't drink from empty wells, mama. And so we have to fill ourselves up with, with God and with the word and with learning. This is why we come online and we learn online uh, the tools that we're gonna need so that we can help, you know, give, give this inspiration and this learning to those that we love. Let's see the next slide. Abigail Adams said, if we mean to have heroes, statesmen, and philosophers, we should have learned women. There you go. She got it. Mothers, we have a divine and essential role in God's plan for the children on his children on this earth. I really believe that we as women in this day and age were held in reserve, or, or we were held in reserve to come to this world at this time. But I, 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 think, I think too, before I, I, I make that point, that we were God's last uh, crowning act of creation, right? He, he created woman last. And I kind of like to tell my, my daughters, he saved the best for last. That your role as a mother, as a daughter, as a grandmother is vital to the human race. I mean, Eve called his, or Adam, called his companion Eve, the mother of all living in Genesis three. And why is that? Because she brought life and beauty and hope and organization and encouragement everywhere she went. I one time heard a woman say, it's my goal wherever I go, I leave flowers in my wake. Now I gotta think that's how mother Eve was, our first, first earthly mother. We are her daughters. We come, we come from her. We have this in our DNA to be this kind of woman. But 
I, I wish everywhere we went, it, it was blooming flowers. Let that be our goal. But oftentimes the work that we do, women go unnoticed. God sees what we're doing. We're not invisible to him. But as we go about and we build up hearts and homes and husbands and children and neighborhoods, sometimes it feels like thankless work. Mostly it does. You are building when no one sees, but you can trust that God sees and that our work that we do will stand as a monument to him and to our posterity and to our freedom and to this nation. I want to show a five and a half minute video right now entitled Invisible Woman by Nicole Johnson. And she tells how her friend went to Europe and brought back this beautiful picture book of the cathedrals of Europe. And then she inscribed in this book to Nicole with admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. So let's go ahead and um, watch this five minute video. Thank you. It started to happen gradually. I would walk into a room and say something and no one would notice. I would say, turn the TV down, please. And nothing would happen. So I would get louder. Turn the TV down, please. Finally, I would have to go over and turn the TV down myself. And then I started to notice it elsewhere. My husband and I had been at a party for about three hours and I was ready to go. I looked over and he was talking to a friend from work and I walked over and he kept right on talking. He didn't even turn toward me. That's when I started to put it together. <laughs> he can't see me. <laughs> I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Then I started to notice it more and more. I would walk my son to school and his teacher would say, Jake, who's that with you? And my son would say, nobody. <laughs> Granted, he's just five, but nobody? One night a group of us gathered and we were celebrating the return of a friend from England. Janice had just taken this fabulous trip and she was going on and on about the hotel she stayed in. And I was sitting there looking around at the other women at the table. I'd put my makeup on in the car on the way there. I had on an old dress because it was the only thing clean and I had my unwashed hair pulled up in a banana clip and I was feeling pretty darn pathetic. And then Janice turned to me and she said, I brought you this. <laughs> it was a book on the great cathedrals of Europe. I didn't understand. And then I read her inscription. She wrote, with admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. You can't name the names of the people who built the great cathedrals. Over and over again, looking at these mammoth works, you scan down to find the names and it says, Builder, unknown, unknown, unknown. They completed things not knowing that anyone would notice. There's a story about one of the builders who was carving a tiny bird inside a beam that would be covered over by a roof. And someone came up to him and said, why are you spending so much time on something no one will ever see? And it's reported that the builder replied, because God sees.
They trusted that God saw everything. They gave their whole lives for a work, a mammoth work they would never see finished. They showed up day after day. Some of these cathedrals took over a hundred years to build. That was more than one working man's lifetime, day after day. And they made personal sacrifices for no credit. Showing up at a job they would never see finished for a building their name would never be on. One writer even goes so far as to say no great cathedrals will ever be built again because so few people are willing to sacrifice to that degree. I closed the book and it was as if I heard God say, I see you. You are not invisible to me. No sacrifice is too small for me to notice. I see every cupcake baked, every sequin sewn on, and I smile over everyone. I see every tear of disappointment when things don't go the way you want them to go. But remember, you are building a great cathedral. It will not be finished in your lifetime, and sadly, you will never get to live there. But if you build it well, I will. At times, my invisibility has felt like an affliction to me. But it is not a disease that is erasing my life. It is the cure for the disease of self-centeredness. It is the antidote to my own pride. It's okay that they don't see. It's okay that they don't know. I don't want my son to tell the friend he's bringing home from college you're not going to believe what my mom does. She gets up at four in the morning and she bakes pies and hand bakes a turkey and she presses all the linens. Even if I do all those things, I don't want him to say that. I want him to want to come home. And secondly, I want him to say to his friend, you're going to love it there. It's okay that they don't see. We don't work for them. We work for him. We sacrifice for him. They will never see, not if we do it right, not if we do it well. Let's pray that our work will stand as a monument to an even greater God. Okay. Don't you love that clip? Doesn't that just bring into perspective the work that we're doing, that we are building? a great cathedral and that he sees us because that's who we work for and even if isn't that interesting the names of some of the or of all the builders of these great cathedrals are not known but they are known to god and that our work will stand as a monument to him the work that we do with our children and our grandchildren in our homes and neighborhoods and communities those things will not go unnoticed because God sees them and we are building these monuments to him. So let's look at some Bible verses and ponder on how God views us, his daughters, and the work that we are doing. In Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, and you know, if you were teaching at a cottage meeting and you showed that, you would just stop and, 
and probably talk about that clip for the rest of your class. It's just that meaningful uh, that we're, we're not invisible to God. So let's, let's see what God has to say about his daughters. In Proverbs 31, may, maybe you know this one, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. You know, in the Bible, it talks about these mighty men of valor, King David's men and Gideon's men that were on the front lines and they had all kinds of skills with the bows and the arrows and they had a relationship with God. And I think virtuous women that are talked about throughout scriptures is the counterpart to the mighty man of valor. It's the mighty woman of valor, virtuous, worthy, upright, chaste, clean, moral, honest woman who understands that her body is a temple where the Holy Spirit resides and we treat it accordingly. In Psalms 127.3, it says, children are a heritage unto God. Now, if children are a heritage unto God, imagine how God upholds and will upholds the vessels who bear his children, his daughters, these uh, women, mothers, who you know bear and train and teach his children, how he views uh, uh, the vessel of the children that are the heritage unto him. And then in 2 Timothy 1 verses uh, 5 through 7, I love how he's, he, he calls out grandma and mother. He says, Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice, your mother. He's talking to Timothy. He said, the faith of your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice, is the faith that is in you. And so he's saying here, women, you have the power to shape and mold uh, the lives of his children, their destinies. The faith in mother and grandmother is the faith that is in you, Timothy, he reminds him. So yes, God reveres and loves his daughters. I believe we come as close to divinity on earth because we give life and we, we bear and we nurture and train and we establish the patterns within um, God's children. The, the pattern and he's entrusted us uh, in, in uh, with us with uh, their care for their care let's see the next slide there's a wonderful book I want to recommend you know I'm helping you build your uh, I love America library this book you can get it on a moms for America store it's called the promises of the constitution I have used this book for years in teaching my children it's a short one and a half page vignettes of different aspects of history and the constitution and inspired figures throughout history. And I would read these little uh, uh, vignettes in our morning devotional that we'd have with our kids. And it just breaks down subjects and ideas and easy to understand ways. In fact, she has um, a children and a teen's uh, notebook to kind of facilitate learning. And I think all that is online if you're interested. But in vignette um, 13.6, it talks about Queen Esther and how she was an example of faith and hope and courage and how she had been born for a time such as this. Her people were at the crossroads and she knew she had to do something. So we actually named our last little girl who's 15, Marie Hadassah. Hadassah is Queen Esther's Hebrew name. And there, there's my little Hadassah right there. She's 15 now. And I just felt strongly when she was in utero, we were in Bible study, we we're reading Queen Esther. And I had such a strong feeling that this little child that I was pregnant with was going to be a girl and I needed to name her after Queen Esther. And uh, also my girls love that movie, One Night with the King. Have you ever seen that one? Put that on your bucket list or not bucket list, on your list of good movies to watch with your girls. 
and and they they called Queen Esther Hadassah. So there's my little Hadassah. But I told her, honey, I tell her that story often, actually, that when I was pregnant with you, I knew it was going to be you. And I knew that God sent you to earth at this time and you had a special mission, just like Queen Esther. And whenever I tell her that story, I could just tell she just gets a little happy in her little heart. But, you know, I really do think mothers and grandmothers that, you know, if you were held in reserve to come to the world at this time when things are ex especially in upheaval, you've been saved to come at this time. When America is at the crossroads, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to save our families and our people and our nation? You know, it might be as simple as what Ben Carson's mama did last week. Remember we talked about uh, Ben Carson? Uh, let's see that next slide. Um, uh, it, where, when the boys, so mama divorced the, the father and she had to raise these two boys and she worked multiple jobs. And in the summer, she would have the two boys go and get two books from the library and they had to read two books a week and write book reports. And he said that this act dramatically changed his life because a whole new world opened up to him. And he would not only Ben Carson go on to become a world renowned neurosurgeon, but he also has written several books that speak eloquently about the blessings of liberty and the greatness of America. And he said, I not only saw and felt the difference my mother made in my life, but I am living out that difference right now as a man. I would highly recommend um, watching his uh, National Prayer Breakfast speech. We talked about that last week. And there's also a movie out about his life called Gifted Hands. That's another wonderful movie you could watch with your children and grandchildren. My kids throughout the years have done book reports on that book, Gifted Hands. It's so inspirational. So in the supplemental material today under lesson three in our Purple Cottage Meeting Manual, there's a wonderful story about um, our president of Moms for America, her name is Kimberly Fletcher, about she tells of the story of her ancestral home in a community uh, outside of Pittsburgh, about an hour outside of Pittsburgh in Cohensville, Pennsylvania. Anyone ever heard of Cohensville, Pennsylvania? Well, she writes the story entitled The Gathering Place. And I like this story because it reminds me of a, a story that I have uh, three years ago during the, the summer of COVID, when COVID hit and we all kind of hunkered down and went into isolation. My husband and I spent a, a lot of time with our children that uh, spring and summer of 2020 down at our um, 50 acre family ancestral home in Ladysmith, Virginia, about an hour and a half outside of Washington, DC, where we live. Now, this land was purchased by my husband's uh, great-grandfather about 80 years ago. Now, during that time in our nation's history, it was no small thing to have a, a Black man be able to buy a 50-acre property. So the little ancestral home that was built there all those years ago still stands today. And there it is. You can see there's nothing fancy about it. I think oh, my husband's grandpa added on half of that uh, house probably about 50 years ago. But um, it, back in the day, there was a barn and there was animals, all kinds of animals. And, and there's a lake behind uh, the house there and there was pastures and gardens. And, and the barn is now fallen in and there's no animals anymore. But we still meet at the ancestral home um, often enough through the years. I've been in the, the family now for 30 years for holidays and church homecomings and special occasions. Well, the ancestral home, if you can see on the top there, it's, it's a humble little place. We have actually a lightning rod on the top 
I mean, I, I thought who in the world has homes with lightning rods, but if your home is that old, you have a lightning rod. It's where my husband's mother was born and raised along with her four siblings. And my, my husband spent every summer there on the farm helping grandpa with the animals and, and um, you know, the, uh, the big pastures and the gardens and so forth. So the home a couple of years ago was renovated inside. So it's, it's still pretty modest, but it's more modern. And so the summer of COVID three years ago, we took the kids down the city in DC was nuts people, mental health was not doing well in the city. So every week we would go down for about three or four days. And there we planted flowers in a big old garden and we uh, painted the house and we chopped wood and we fished uh, at the pond and we shot our, our guns and we uh, mowed acres of uh, land there. We had um, big tractors, we plowed the land and we planted a, a huge garden. And even my oldest boy uh, uh, plant, had planted. Uh, so all the kids came down and spent time uh, there uh, on the land. And uh, even the dog got in on the, we have two dogs, that's one of the dogs and there's grandma, grandma and grandpa taught the kids how to work the tractors. And um, let's see that next slide. Is that our last slide there? Well, oh, and there's me in the garden. I was so proud of my zucchinis. I made more zucchini bread that year than, and I like a lot of vegetables, but, and the kids would weed all my land. We'd, we'd be gone for two or three days and the garden was full of weeds. We, were, we, we would weed almost every single day. We would take long walks down the country road and and we'd have family, uh, some of the aunts and uncles and cousins that still live down in the, in the country over for dinner. And we played board games at night, pop popcorn that summer. It was wonderful. We, we, uh, there was a great spirit about that land and the ancestors that had come before. And it really helped root uh, our children's identity and, the, and their love of, of family that had come before them in this great country where anything was possible where this indeed was a land of opportunity. And we would, we have a big hammock under the tree and we would, for hours, we would lounge, read books. And, and the girls decided that we were gonna put animals back on the farm, but we would make it an animal sanctuary. No, no killing would go on. And the boys would just roll their eyes when they would hear about this, but we would laugh and dream and plan. And it, it was a beautiful uh, summer. And, and, and we still go down there, you know, every couple of months or so, but, it was especially meaningful because we lived on that land for gosh, almost six months. So Kimberly in her story, The Gathering Place in, in the supplemental material this week, she tells about her gathering place uh, at Cohensville and, and the homestead and the legacy of, of what it meant to her in her life. Actually, it's named uh, after this town, Cohensville, after her ancestors, after the Revolutionary War. These, this was her family. And it became home uh, to all of her aunts and uncles and a virtual uh, army of cousins, she said. And the center of the family homestead was uh, where her grandma and her grandpa lived. And the family would gather together in that home on those special occasions. And it was called, their home was called the gathering place where beautiful memories of bound the family together for generations. And she tells of the memories of, let's see the next slide of uh, grandma's front porch where they would talk for hours and uncle George's store and aunt Helen's orchards and the fruit pies and jams that came from the orchards and how all those homes were just full of stories and people and memories and love. 
Well, Kimberly grew up and she um, got married and life took her in different directions. And she infrequently would go back to Cohensville, but she had eight children and life was busy. She decided in 2002, she was going to take a, they were going to take a road trip and they were going to go through Pennsylvania. So she was going to take her children to her a childhood ancestral hometown. And so when all the kids pulled into the, uh, to, town her heart kind of sank because she saw all the changes that had occurred grandma grandma's house had been sold uncle george's store was now the post office and aunt ellen's house had been burnt down and now it was a vacant lot and then she drove her children to the cemetery where as a young girl she remembered walking with her grandma to the cemetery and placing fresh cut flowers on family graves and at this point she said my kids were starting to get hungry and restless and as i took them you know place after place and memory after memory she said they began to have all the same reaction they were bored they were hungry and they were tired and they wanted to know if it was time to go and she said, why did the kids not understand or appreciate the importance of these places and memories? And then she realized it's because she hadn't really shared it with them. And she said with an aching heart and a tear-filled eyes, she drove out of town that day with regret for not sharing the stories of these places and the people that had once been the perfect backdrop, she said, for a Norman Rockwell town. And now it was only a shell of what it had been and she said, it was because of my neglect of sharing the stories and the memories of the place that had lived and breathed throughout her family for the last 200 years, she said, was going to die with her. So as Kimberly pondered this experience, she thought, what else that is dear to me that I have not shared, that I haven't shared with them? And then she had this epiphany that about uh, preserving the love of America and the hearts of her children and how vital our role as mothers are in doing this and how can our future generation ever understand or embrace our history and our heritage and our legacy of liberty that is uniquely America if we are not sharing it with them. Let's see this last slide, Z. Uh, Ronald Reagan said, and I know you've heard this quote and we'll use it from time to time because it kind of jars me every time I read it. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States when men were free. I love this quote. I love Ronald Reagan. And one of the reasons I love Ronald Reagan is because I grew up in the home that I grew up in. And you're, you're going to hear about uh, that. The next nine lessons, you're actually, we're actually going to start to begin to teach. Okay, how do we teach these things, these principles, these stories, this, you know, the valor of virtue, our faith foundation to our children. But I had a mama who uh, uh, my parents divorced when I was 26 years old. So she had to raise the children, the last, we had nine children and really raised the last six on her own. We lived in a humble little poor home. We didn't have a lot of decorations. So she would decorate <laughs> with you know pictures. She found a picture of Ronald Reagan, put it right next to Jesus, we're Christian in our kitchen. So for eight years, I'd eat my cereal looking at Jesus and looking at Ronald Reagan. And there was no doubt in my mind what was most important to my mother. It was God and country. It was faith 
and freedom. And she instilled that in me by just putting a picture of the president of the United States, a godly man that she admired next to uh, Jesus. Freedom is fragile. Almost 250 years ago, the battle for freedom was fought with cannons and muskets and open fields and meadows. But today, the battle is going to be fought differently. And it's going, and, and the weapons we're going to use, Mother, is our faith, is the stories, the faith stories of America, the miracles of America, the love and the nurturing, the service that they see as render in our communities, and the way in which we nurture liberty within the four walls of our home. Yes, indeed. I believe it when uh, Alex de Tocqueville made that observation that. Uh, righteous women in their sphere of influence can, beginning in their home, can turn the world around. We are writing a new chapter in history right now, a chapter where we know freedom is going to prevail. We have read the book, Beautiful Women. We know who wins. God wins. But we've got to be a part of the refounding of, of some of these lost principles and lost stories and faith stories that will invigorate and arm our children up so that they can be about preserving and perpetuating what our founders gave us and, and, and um, helping uh, us to ultimately prevail. I always say, we know God wins. We just wanna make sure we're on the right side when he prevails. And so that comes, uh, brings our lesson today to the close. The first three lessons really have been targeted at you, mothers, to, to understand that you will be the best teacher your children and grandchildren will ever have. You are the most qualified to teach them what they need to know to go out in the world and defend this nation, defend the Constitution, defend God. And when mama understands the importance of her role, she will rise up because she knows the God of the universe has her back. And she will begin to teach more precisely and brilliantly these things with, uh, with her, to her children and grandchildren. She won't outsource it to you know, the, the schools or the universities or even the churches. She will know that she is the best teacher. Mother and father together is, is a powerful combination. I had a mama, I didn't have a daddy that was next to my mama and I saw the good my mother did uh, teaching along with God, you know, these things and I know how it shaped me. And, I, and so let's see the questions uh, that, that uh, if you were having a cottage meeting, you can discuss as, as you tell a story, you would Throw out the question, how does the work that we do seem invisible at times? And how do you know that's not the case? Uh, in regards to the Bible verses, how does God view his daughters in the work that, that we do? And how does the faith of your grandmother and mother and aunties and women in your life, how, has, how does that shape uh, the child? And, and what, are, what can we possibly be doing to, to be a Queen Esther of our time, to save our people, to save our communities and our nation? And how has the family legacy uh, that you have within your home, how has it been passed on and what can you do to continue to pass on these legacies that your grandmother and mother and aunties have passed on to you that have caused you to be in this class tonight? So those are some, some questions that, you know, certainly you can, we can discuss uh, in a moment or that, that you could discuss if you were to have uh, cottage meetings in your home. So I'm gonna-